Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer new back in America. Soccer new back in America. Featuring person talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to Soccer New Rock in America, featuring you know who. Hello. Yeah, that's Person New, my eleven-year-old daughter, and your co-host. And welcome to the America's Week episode. Yeah, there is postseason action going on all over here to the states, to our direct north, and even well to the south. Just no need to go anywhere else, at least not until we get to the bonus matches. We are going to bring you 10 of the most paramount matches here in the Western Hemisphere to be found. My daughter will help guide us through, plus we'll get to her weekly segment, we'll take a culture break, and we'll do a lot of little bits of learning and have a ton of fun along the way. Best of all, we get to welcome a special return guest from a much fancier podcast than ours, uh, and he's going to help us with our MLS featured playoff match this week. Brings a lot of information. Uh, our soccer weeks on this show tend to run Friday through Thursday. Uh, this episode, that's October 27th through uh, uh, November the 2nd. And so, with no further ado, let's dive on in with... March number one! Just for fun, let's do things like last week in reverse chronological order. Match number one, therefore, will be a Thursday match coming from the CONCACAF Caribbean Cup. They are at their semifinal, and this is the second leg of the home and away two-legged tie. Let me unpack a little bit of that for newer fans. CONCACAF is our region, North America, Central America, and the Caribbean countries, and some French territories. The Caribbean Cup is the bigger of two different tournaments in that sub-region. It's for the semifinal. That's self-explanatory. Second leg of the home and away, two-legged tie. Each of the uh, pairs of teams in the semifinals will play each other twice, and uh, the team with a better aggregate score will win a leg as a match. So they've played once, and now we're about to play again. This particular event had 10 teams in it, and uh, the winner will qualify for the CONCACAF Champions Cup, which until recently was known as the CONCACAF Champions League for the best of the best. And we'll get to enter at the round of 16. The next best two, the other finalist and the winner of the uh, bronze medal match, basically, uh, will get to also qualify for that event, but they will have to start in the uh, first round. The match we're going to look at, the more competitive of the two semifinals heading into the second leg, is Mocha out of the Dominican Republic versus Robin Hood. Uh, all one word, by the way, interestingly, SV Robin Hood out of Suriname. Yes, that is one of the South American countries, but they have more of a Caribbean culture and are one of the three small countries in South America that instead of participating in South America's confederation, compete in ours. And yay for us, it is two hour gain especially with Robin Hood. That's a fun club. Uh, Robin Hood, one leg, one, one to nil. 
The winners are going to get to play Cavalier out of Jamaica. That is unless Harborview, also from Jamaica, come back from the shellacking they took at home to Cavalier, nil to five. Wow, that's a bad loss. As is our tradition, we'll talk about the home team first. Mocha, uh, the club, is named after the city of the same name. It is the 10th largest one in the country at about 175,000 people. It's only a little bit over 10 miles from Santiago, the, the second biggest one in the country. And that is in the north central region. Big manufacturing, agriculturing, nice diverse economy. And this is the uh, basically the capital of all banking sectors, I would say, in the Caribbean. That is a major part of the economy there. Their top flight in the country is called the Liga Mayor, and it is ranked number 12 of the 14 ranked CONCACAF leagues. There are only 14 that are uh, professional or high enough semi-professional that uh, CONCACAF bothers ranking them. This club is a little bit outside the top 100 in their overall CONCACAF ranking, number 119, and yet that puts them number five in seeding for this particular event. They qualified for the event uh, as the third best team out of the Dominican Republic last year. They got to send three teams. This was the very last one. And that is because they had the best aggregate record outside of the two finalists. They are talking about the top two of the regular season that made the playoffs. In this event, they finished in second place in their group of five. They had a second-best offense, but the defense is where they really shone. Uh, They gave up uh, only a little bit less than a goal per match, and they were the only team to do that well in that regard. Key players to look for. Tied for number three in events, scoring with three on the event, Gustavo Ascona out of Argentina. Uh, Mocha currently, by the way, are in the 2023 Liga Mayor final. So good luck to them there. They drew Seabound nil-nil in leg one after finishing the regular season number three. That gives you a little bit of an idea of how they're doing overall right now. Uh, they were uh, top two in offense, defense, and goal differential down there. Team score informed they are unbeaten in their last seven. And when I said the defense was shining, wow, they've only conceded one goal across all competitions in that seven-match unbeaten streak. And now Robin Hood out of Suriname. They are a capital city team playing out of uh, Paro Maribo. They've made the final of this event, although they've never won it, five different times. Back when the landscape was a fair bit different, though, the last time was 1983. They qualified for this year's cup by winning the CONCACAF Caribbean Shield. That was a feeder tournament from all of the amateur leagues all over the Caribbean region and uh, northeastern South America, obviously, in this particular case. They qualified for that event by winning the 2022 Irste de uh League. And that is the top flight there in Suriname, and that was their second title there. More recently, 2019, they made it all the way to the CONCACAF League semifinal. The CONCACAF League is a was an event that existed until just a year or two ago. It's been replaced by uh, this event and the Central American version. They came out of the other group than their opponents, and they won it. They had the number one offense going, getting the full two goals per match, were tops on defense as well, if not quite as actually good as Mocha was over in their group. And they had the top goal differential by a factor of four. Key player to look for for them on offense. Uh, Second best in event scoring with five is Shaquille Cairo. Team's current form across all competitions. They are 3-0-2 in their last five. Match number B. We now flip the calendar page back to Tuesday. 
for a match that is, yes, number B, because we don't leave in number, believe in number, you know what? That's bathroom talk. We encourage you to make this change right along with us. Join the sensation that that, that is number B. Match number B, a Tuesday match for the CONCACAF Central American Cup. Yeah, we just talked about it. The top six teams from this event will get to qualify for the CONCACAF Champions Cup. So all four of the semifinalists are in, but the losers from the quarterfinals are not out yet. They have been paired off. We're playing some play-in matches. This is the second leg of the home-and-away two-legged tie. We're going to look at the one between Saprisa out of Costa Rica and Matagua from Honduras. So they're going to try to get one of those last two berths each. They've already played the first leg that was in Honduras, and uh, Matagua only held Saprisa to a 2-2 draw. So advantage to the monsters, or the purple monster if you prefer, which I do, of Saprisa. They are another capital city team playing out of San Jose, and they have been a power for a very long time in the region. 36 times they have been to what is now called the CONCACAF Champions Cup, and three times they've won the title. Most recently, I believe, was 2005. They've also won a CONCACAF league title that was in 2019 plus four other Central American titles from a now defunct tournament called the Central American Cup Championship. I believe that last one must have been in 2004, the last year it existed. That was a really special year for this team, by the way, as well. 2005, they finished in third place in the FIFA Club World Cup. They qualified for this event by finishing as the champions of both the Apatora and Clausura stages of the 2022-23 domestic season. In this event, they are seeded second best. Overall in CONCACAF, they're rated number 47. The league is rated fourth. They just recently got passed by a different club. They've been the third best behind the U.S. and Mexico for a very long time. In this event, in the group stage, they went 3-1-0 with a perfect 10-against-no-goal differential. But then came the quarterfinals, and they got upset by a team from a much lesser league than them, albeit one of the strong three from that league, Nicaragua's Real Esteli. Key player to look for, tied for third best in event scoring with four is Javon East out of Jamaica. He is their striker. And he's also got 16 national team appearances. We've talked about him before. They're currently in first place. In their league, uh, they're two-thirds of the way through the 2023-24 Primera División Apertura stage, and they've got the number one offense and defense, two and a half goals per match and not even conceding one per. They have been dominant in a league that usually has anywhere from two to four title contenders. Team's current form, the leg one draw that they earned, uh, that actually snapped a two-match winning streak for them. And now Matagua a capital city team. They play in uh, Tegucigalpa and are the Blue Cyclone. Uh, Matagua, as you would guess by the agua in the name, that's a river that flows through the area. Three different times they've won the CONCACAF League, or no, excuse me, three times they have finished in second place. Last time was 2021. They never actually won it. Last year, they played in the CONCACAF Champions Cup, made it as far as the round of 16. They just squeaked into this event this year. They got the fourth and final berth out of Honduras's Liga Nacional, which is the league that has moved up to number three in the CONCACAF League ratings, coincidentally. They're seeded number five in this event and ranked just a little bit outside the top 50 overall of clubs in CONCACAF. They finished in second place in their group stage to advance to the knockout. Uh, the defense was okay, but the offense was better. Second best, and they were getting over two goals per match. But then in the quarterfinals, they lost to Independiente, one of the very good teams out of Panama, 3-1. to one. 
Key player to look for, number one in event scoring with seven, is Augustine Osmendi out of Argentina, placed forward for them. Currently in the 2023-24 Apertura stage, they're in fourth place, but things are very tight and they've got a match in hand. This is one of your top two teams, honestly, there. They've got the second best goal differential and they are more of an offensive team uh, than defensively oriented as well. So I expect another shootout no matter which way it goes. Team's current form, though, they're 1-1-3 in their last five and perhaps not too surprisingly, they didn't keep a clean sheet in any of those. Match number three. Another Tuesday match. This one not from a tournament, but league play. Liga MX specifically, where they're in the 2023-24 Apertura stage. The top 10 will get to make the domestic playoffs. The top six will get buys to the quarterfinals. I believe that only one team will qualify through regular season league play for the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Obviously, uh, there will be a ton of Mexican clubs in there. There just happen to be a lot of uh, other international tournaments and ways for teams to qualify. They happen to be about three-quarters of the way through this stage. Your key matchup for the week, number three, San Luis versus number one, Club de America. But we're not going to go into that this particular time. Noob has gotten a little hungry. My tumbly has gotten rumbly earlier in the show than normal. We're going to take a little culture break. That means food. Yes, we love to learn all about the world using soccer as our excuse, and food is our most common target. I'm going to talk very briefly about a San, a San Luis specialty, Enchilada Potosina, because the full name of the city is San Luis Potosi. What's on the inside is what it's not unique. It is the shell. The tortillas are a reddish or bright orange, and that is because red pepper chili sauce these days gets mixed in with the masa, which is the corn dough used to make the tortillas. And obviously, not only aesthetically in terms of the color, but that gives them a, a somewhat spicy and a very bright taste. Something I love anything with chili sauce, red chili peppers in it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be trying this one out soon myself. A little bit of an interesting history about it. They know exactly who it was that invented it. A woman named Doña Cristina Jaloma. I don't know how long ago, but she used to make money uh, making tortillas on the side uh, for her family. A little extra income. One day she was picking up the um, nixtamalized corn. Nixtamalized, by the way, is a, uh, a way often for making tortillas that you uh, cure the corn, get the hulls off. You soak them in kind of an alcohol or an alkaline sort of base. But anyway, she noticed that the corn... Uh, that she had gotten ground up in the mill was tinted very red. She asked about it and they told her, well, that's because we just had a job where we recently ground up some red peppers, which I guess they didn't normally do. Now, she wasn't in a position to say no uh, to what she was picking up and had already paid for. And so she took it home and prepared it as it was. Turned out they were delicious and it quickly spread all over the city and is now a delicacy that is particular to this area. Match number four. We're going to give Monday a jump and go back to Sunday. No Monday games were quite bright and shiny enough to make our podcast episode this time around. Sunday we had one. Match number four comes to us from the 2024 CONCACAF Women's Gold Cup qualification event. I'll unpack. Uh, the CONCACAF Women's Gold Cup will be next year, hence 2024. Gold Cup is the name of a championship for national teams here in our region of the world, CONCACAF, and it is the women's event. Uh, the event proper, if you will, will be starting in February. We'll have 12 teams. 
the U.S. and Canada are the two teams in CONCACAF that are exempt from this, that are participating at all. There were a handful of like Caribbean countries that did not happen to enter women's teams. So 34 teams that are participating, trying to join the USA and Canada next February, have been divided into three different leagues by ranking. The teams that are in the lowest of the three leagues are from the uh, smallest, if you will, or the lowest seeded anyway, of the Caribbean countries. None of those teams, no matter how well they do, are eligible to get into the uh, Women's Gold Cup. However, the winners will be able to uh, move up if their seating improves enough, maybe into League B for the next go-round. We're going to be looking at a League B match. League B has 12 teams, three groups of four, and they're playing a double-round robin in each one. Only the group winners will be advancing, and they won't get to advance necessarily straight to the Women's Gold Cup. They will have to play in a playoff-round match in order to get in. Who will that be against? Well, these winners are going to play the second place finishers from the three uh, from the various League A groups that will earn them in a berth into the Women's Gold Cup. Here in the group stage, they're about halfway through. Best looking matchup to our eyes look like number one in their group, Guyana versus number B. Oh yes, they're back, Suriname. Last time we got a club event, this time we get their women's national team. Uh, They are tied on points. Guyana leads Suriname by just one on goal differential. The two of them lead Antigua and Barbuda by two points. When they played earlier in this event, Guyana won on the road, no one. And we'll talk about them first since they're hosting the second leg. They are known as the Lady Jags. Their only international or major international appearance was the 2010 Women's Gold Cup, and uh, they didn't uh, earn a point there, 0-0-3. CONCACAF, their women's team, is ranked to number 14. Uh, They were the second-best team to actually not get into League A, so they're the second-best one in this particular overall grouping. They were drawn from Pot 1 then, of course, and are your favorites to win the group. They've got the best offense going. They're the only team getting over two goals per match. Key players to look for. Two goals in the event have been scored by Otesha Charles. She plays forward for them. She plays for a third-tier English team called, uh, I don't know if it's Gillingham or Gillingham. Gillingham, rather. I want to at least acknowledge that I'm not sure but what the possibilities are. Also with two goals is Brianne Desa. She plays midfielder for them. And for Simcoe County Rovers over in League One, Ontario. And then another gal who I couldn't really find anything about quickly. Her name is Gelati Trim. They've got plenty of USA connections. It's a lot of collegiate players and very low-level amateur league players. Nobody nobody famous, let's just say. Uh, they lost 2-1 to one at Antigua Barbu- and Barbuda for their only loss. Teams current form, well, they bounced back from that with a dominating 5-0 win over the national team from Dominica. And now Suriname. Their women's team has never qualified for any major national event, the international event, I should say. They've got the number one defense going this time go. They've only conceded one goal in their three matches. They carry a CONCACAF ranking of number 20 and were drawn out of pot number three in League B for this event. So shorthand, uh, they're slated to finish third. So uh, right now they're doing incredibly well given the expectation. Key player for them with two goals, Andaya Luntveld. Also, they're captained by their defender, uh, Hadass Brandon, who plays for a domestic club called Athena. Just one USA connection for this team, and that's a gal whose name I didn't even catch, but I know she plays for Auburn. 
2022 Women's CONCACAF Championship uh, qualifiers. The players went on strike for this team. So if you remember them from anything the last couple of years, it's probably that. Uh, they ended up finishing in third place in their qualification group and not advancing. Team's current form, they've only played two matches in 2023 and both for this event, and they won them both. Match number five. And now all the rest of our matches will be Saturday matches until we get to number 10 and the bonus matches. So match number five is our first bonafide trophy match of the episode. We're headed to Canada. The Premier League playoff final is on. The top five teams of the eight made the domestic playoffs. Your finalists are number B, Forge FC, versus number one, Cavalry. Just for fun, I'm going to go into their playoff format because it's Goofy seeming to me, but it's got a name. I just never heard of it in soccer before. At the very least, it's called a page with a capital P, probably named after somebody. Playoff system. I'll just tell you. Okay, first of all, the play-in round was the fourth and fifth played teams. They played for the right to play the number three regular season finisher in what was called the first semifinal. In the other first semifinal match, Number one played number B from the regular season. Yeah, weird that they would play in their first match and not the final, but hold on. So here's what happens. The losers of the number one versus number B match and the winner of the three versus four matchup play in what is called the second semifinal. The winner of that match gets to go on to play the winner of the first semifinal number one versus number B match for the title. And as it turns out, we did get our top two seeds from the regular season making it to the final. But Forge, they were the second place finisher in the regular season. But because they won, they in here in the playoffs, they get to host. Now, both teams have qualified by getting this far for the CONCACAF Champions League. So good on them. They still want the trophy. Uh, the series between these two has been largely to Forge's side. 11-7-7 is their accrued record. You can catch this one, 6 o'clock Eastern Time Saturday on Fox Soccer Plus. Forge, they play in the greater Toronto area, a town called Hamilton, and are known as the Hammers. Probably not just because of ham as in Hamilton, but a very industrial steelworking area as well historically. Uh, they were founded, as was the league, in 2019. They've won three of the titles and are your defending champions. They advanced to this final again with a 1-2 win over Cavalry. They were the first Premier League team from Canada to play in the CONCACAF League. And in 2021, they made the semifinals, the best they've done there. They were also the first ever Canadian club to compete in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. That was last year, and they made the round of 16. This year in league play, offense good, defense better. Second best in the league, giving up less than one and a quarter goals per match. Uh, tied for third best in scoring with 10 was uh, Tevin Campbell. Can we talk? No, check that. Taryn Campbell. I just wanted to listen to a little bit of that song. I used to be a top 40 DJ in the 90s, and I just missed it. Anyway, um, interestingly, not only is he uh, top four in scoring in the league, but he's also second worst, if you will, in big chances missed. 11 different times he had a prime opportunity to add to his goal tally and did not. Also tied with him with an even 10 goals is one of my favorite named players, Wubens Pashius. 22 years old. 
Tied for second best in assists in the league with seven was Kyle Becker, their veteran 33-year-old midfielder. Number three in accurate passes per 90 minutes, uh, Manjrakar James, a Canadian-born center back. And then number one in clean sheets with nine is Tristan Henry. I mention all these names because they are your clear favorite, I think, coming into this, getting to host it. And they are the ones who have a lot of experience, even if they weren't hosting it. I have a feeling we'll be talking about them plenty in the CONCACAF Champions League. Team's current form, they'd actually lost two straight before getting their playoff win. And now Cavalry also formed in 2019, and their first season was their best. They won the regular season and finished second best in the playoffs. But they weren't eligible for international play for some reason that year. So uh, 2024 will be their first time, is my understanding. Last year, they finished in third place and made the playoff semifinals. So just missed international play a couple different ways. They won the regular season this year by 13 points. I'm, uh, thusly, I'm very glad that uh, their position in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League is already guaranteed. They are very deserving after a season like that. Their one other title was uh, a Supporter Shield, a regular season title. They won that in 2019. Here in the playoffs, they advanced over number three, Halifax Wanderers on away goal differential. I had a pretty tough time with them. In the regular season play, not much of anybody gave them a tough time. They had the number one offense in a not very high scoring league. They were getting almost one and two thirds goals per match, and they were the only team that was giving up less than a goal per match. So stats were pretty tight, but not goal differential. They had the best one by a factor of over two and a half times. Key players to look for with them. Tied for number one in league, scoring with 11, Meyer Bevan from New Zealand. Oddly enough, he lists as a defender with them, but he must essentially be a wingback. Tied for second best in assists with seven was Ali Musi or Moose, M-U-S-S-E, midfielder. Uh, he was the second best rated player in the league, at least according to uh, Footmob, one of the uh, apps I really like. Uh, he had five goals in addition to all those assists. Good tackler, great dribbler, really looked for his jersey. Uh, number one in save percentage, the only guy uh, getting better than 70% in that regard was Marco Carducci. He was also second best in clean sheets with eight. Team's current form, 6-0-1 in their last seven. A recap of last week's matches, you say? If kiddies are willing to ask for it by name, and I think that might be what they're doing, then they shall receive. Let's count it down backwards. Last week, Friday, match number 10 was a Friday match from the NWSL quarterfinals. Number four, OL Rain out of Seattle, played host to number five, Angel City, and got a 1-0 win over the visitors and advanced. Congratulations to them. Match number nine for the quarterfinals of USL League One, number four, Charlotte Independence, in a shootout, got a 3-2 victory over number five, Greenville Triumph. Players we said to look for, they did quite well. For Charlotte, Joel had a goal. And for Greenville, Ellen uh, Gavalvanes had one as well. Match number eight really wasn't a match. We just told you about the existence of the Africa Super League, a brand new one. Saturday, match number seven, Major League Soccer feature match of the week. Uh, pitted number 10 from the West Sporting Kansas City versus number 11 from the West Minnesota. Kansas City got a 3-1 win. And uh, Casey's Daniel uh, Shalloway, he had a brace of assists for Minnesota. Emmanuel Reynoso had an assist. Match number six from the USL Championship Conference quarterfinals or round of 16, whichever you prefer. Number four in the East Memphis 901 took on number five, Louisville City. And it took penalty kicks for Louisville to get it done on the road, but that they did four to five on the PK. Match number five, the Conmebol 
Copa Libertadores or Champions League final between Palmyras and Corinthians. Congratulations, Corinthians on the nil one win. Uh, Milieni got a goal. And that was a player we said to look for, or the goal, I should say. Sunday match number four from the MLS Next Pro Tier 3 League final. Number three from the East Columbus Crew 2 took on number four from the West Austin FC 2. And it was the visitors making the road trip worth their while with a 1-3 win. Congratulations to the champions. Match number three from the Belize Premier League. Number B, Port Loyola, took on number one, Progresso. And it was Port Loyola defending their turf 3-1. to one. That knocked Progresso down to number three. Wednesday was match number B from the UEFA Champions League group stage. Number three, Feyenoord took a number B, Lazio, and it was Feyenoord with a 3-1 win. Thursday, match number one from the Solomon Island S-League, the very last match of their regular season. Number one, Solomon Warriors played number three, Central Coast. They played to a 1-1 draw that was good enough to move Central Coast up to number two. These are your two. Whoa! nearly made it all the way through, but I get going too fast, and I said the words that shall not be said, the Voldemort of the numbering system. Alright, again, a 1-1 draw. That was good enough to get Central Coast up to second place, position number B, and both will get to go on to the Oceana Football Confederation Champions League. And now your bonus matches with explanations coming later. The route of the week was a Tuesday match. The Clausura stage going on in Colombia's Primera A. Number one, Rio Negro Aguilas took on number 20, Envigado. And they got a sound win, if not quite a route. Uh, the Eagles won 3-1 to one there at home. For them, players we said to look for, Marco Perez. He got a goal and an assist. And then John with the J.H. Salazar, he had a goal as well. Your most meaningless match in the world was the Sunday match from the NB1 top flight in Hungary. Number 7, Debrecen took on number 8, Ferovar, And Debrecen got a 3-1 win. The stars were shining for them as well. Debrecen, Stefan Moncar had an assist for Ferovar. Kenan Kodro had an assist. This was good enough to move Debrecen up a spot to number six. Your most, uh, your matchup disappointed was a Sunday match from the Swedish women's Damos Benskan League at the top flight. Number 13, uh, Brahma Pojkarna took on number 14, Kalmar. And this should have been your route of the week. I knew Kalmar were the worst team in the league like by a little bit. But I don't care if you're on the road. You can't go to the second worst team and lose 7-0. But that they did. And that was good enough to uh, to bounce Brahma, that is how they are known for short in the name of their town, up to number 12. That concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's dive back into the upcoming week's matches with... Match number six. Both of the Tier 3 leagues for the men here in the United States are in the playoffs. One of those two leagues is the National Independent Soccer Association, NISA. They're just getting started. It's the quarterfinals. The top six got to make the playoffs, and the top two got buys straight to the semifinals. The best-looking matchup, if you want to use your Google machine for some particulars, number four, Albion San Diego versus number five, Maryland Bobcats. But because it's so early in this particular uh, events playoffs, we're going to use this as a great time to let the real star of the show, my 11-year-old daughter and co-host, Person Noob, take over with the subject of endangered animals that is near and dear to her heart. Let's look at one from near California. Aminals, aminals, aminals from around the world. Oh, yeah. So tell us uh, what animal that lives uh, around California are we discussing today that is endangered? 
We are talking about the leatherback sea turtle. Is it known by any other names? Uh, yes. It's also, also called the loot or loot turtle. Do you know why? Uh, well, it might be because of the seven ridges across its back. Yeah, seven ridges, seven strings on a loot. There's a lot of thought that that's probably why. All right, give us some of the basics. Give us the vitals. It's the largest of all reptiles, almost six feet long and 1,100 pounds. Wow, that's even bigger than me. <laughs> uh, it has no bony shell. Uh, instead, it's tough, leathery, oily, and a flexible back. That sounds gross. Yeah. I don't want to touch it. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's dark gray to black on top with white splotches. Uh, uh, but underneath, it's much lighter, demonst- demonstrating camouflage aspects called countershading. Are we going to tell everybody about countershading? No! No, you can go Google that up on your own. Uh-huh. Um, I... Uh, well, it, has, it has point on its back instead of teeth. I think you mean beak. <laughs> I'm glad it doesn't have teeth on its back either, but... <laughs> <laughs> should we start that part over or should we leave it in? Leave it in. All right. And what else can you tell us about uh, a part that helps it eat its stuff? Uh, uh, it also has little spines on its throat to help it. Oh, that's extra gross. Yeah. All right, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Tell us more about mm-hmm. it. Uh, uh, well, they create their own internal body heat by their own swimming. Much higher than the reptiles. This enables them to live to live even in Arctic waters. Oh, wow. So our match is for a California animal, but it sounds like this thing can live, like, lots of places. Yeah. These turtles are found all over the world, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, uh, but there are three major population areas in the world. One is the Pacific. Uh, the Pacific region has two, and one is by California. Oh, okay, that makes sense, because our match is in California. Now I know why you chose it. Yeah. Uh, and there are maybe only 2,300 of these turtles left worldwide. 2,300 sounds like a lot, but I guess if that's in the whole world, then that's not very much, is it? No. All right, how are they in the water? Uh, oh, well, they can dive down um, over 4,200 feet. Holy smokes. Uh, other typical dives are three to eight minutes in length. Uh, and they can dive up to 70 minutes. I can maybe hold my breath for 30 or 45 seconds. How about you? Uh, probably. <laughs> probably how long? Probably like 30 seconds. So not even three minutes, let alone 70 minutes. No. We'll leave that to the turtle. Okay, how else are they in the water? Uh, well, they're the fastest swimming non-avian reptile, going from one and a half to over six miles mile per hour. Cool. What do they eat? Uh, they eat jellyfish and soft-bodied animals. Gross. Uh, a lot of, one turtle was tracked over two years, uh, following eating jellyfish for 12,000 miles. Oh, goodness, I would just go to White Castle. <laughs> um, well, the Pacific ones start in Indonesia and swim 6,000 miles to eat California jellyfish. Wow, that's a long way. I wonder if there are, like, no jellyfish in Indonesia, or if it's just a certain species in California that are really, really tasty that it likes to eat. I don't think any jellyfish would be tasty, let alone tastier than the others. Well, it's got jelly in the name. You like? No, you don't even like jelly that much. You put, you just have peanut butter sandwiches, don't you? Yeah. You don't do peanut butter and jelly that much, do you? Mm-mm. No. How about peanut butter and jellyfish? Isn't that a SpongeBob thing? Uh, uh there was one on SpongeBob and then one on the Thundermans, I think. Yeah, I remember the Thundermans, oddly enough. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what's what is the biggest threat? What is endangering these animals? Uh, 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 well, the first biggest threat is plastic bags, because they mistake the bags for jellyfish. Oh, and they try to eat them. Yeah. Yuck. 
Plastic bags in the water uh, have been illegal in California since 2016, though. Well, that's a good thing. Uh, oh, all the plastic in the ocean hurts and kills them, uh, getting into that their digestive tracts. Uh oh, and is this bad for? Is it bad for people that it's bad for these animals right now? Uh, no. Actually, yes. Uh, uh the jellyfish eat fish that humans eat. So these turtles keeping jellyfish populations lower is important to us. That's right, because we like to eat fish, don't we? Some people. Yeah, what's your favorite kind of fish? Salmon. Me too. I didn't like salmon when I was a kid, though. Why do you like salmon so much? Because I'm cool. Cool people like salmon. Uh-huh. And if you don't, then uh, sorry, but you're not as cool. I thought maybe it was because you were weird. No. Because I don't think most kids like salmon. Too bad. They're not as cool. All right, you got anything else for us? Nope. All right. Well, then this was Animals from Around the World Eat Salmon. Match number seven. Them's trophy matches are shiny and fun. Let's have another one. Match number seven. We head to South America this time for the Copa Sudamericana final. Uh, The Copa Libertadores is the Champions League in South America. Their secondary tournament, or the equivalent of the Europa League, and of course Europe, if you will, is this one, the South American Cup, Copa Sudamericana. The winners will qualify for the next Copa Libertadores. That's a big deal. You can catch this particular matchup 4 o'clock Eastern time here in the U.S. on BN Sports on their English or Spanish language broadcast channels. Your matchup, Fortaleza out of Brazil versus LDU de Quito, of course, out of Ecuador, that being the capital city. Fortaleza, I believe that is also the fourth biggest city in Brazil, uh, two and three quarters million people roughly. I know it's the capital of the northeast state of Ceará. They are the Lion King of Brazil for a nickname which now uh, longer time listeners know how I feel about lions as a mascot, unless you were maybe a team from Africa. And even then it's still not all that original, but person who really likes this particular sounder. Yeah, so we can give a little leeway to Lion King. This club is only ranked number 78 in all economy bolts, so getting this far is a huge deal. They've only got one trophy in their cabinet so far, and that was a Division II or Serie B title from 2018. 2021, they had their best ever league finish, number four, and made the Copa Libertadores for the first time. This year, they were in the third round of the Copa Libertadores when they lost and then got not. So they entered this event at the group stage. And they won that even though they were only seeded number three. So really overachieving this year. They advanced to the final by beating a different Brazilian club, Corinthians, one to three. In the league season, the Serie A this year, they're currently just in ninth place, about two-thirds of the way through the season. We're not generating much offense. They're below average in that regard for the league, not even getting one and a quarter goal per match. They have the number six defense, though. That is where the bread's going to get buttered. Uh, The team MVP is a defensive player, as you would imagine. Then right back, a singularly monocled monocled fellow named Tinga, T-I-N-G-A. Good dribbler, great tackler, loads of clearances. If if you're a noob like me and want to learn something about defense, this is the perfect chance to watch one particular player in action as best you can. Team's current form, two straight losses they've suffered, both on the road. And now, LDU de Quito, they are known as the Marengues. 
Now, that's a nickname. Uh, they must have some sort of affiliation or affinity for Real Madrid. Why Real Madrid or the Marengues? Not 100% sure, but we can enjoy the music. They are the number 21 ranked team in all of Conmebol, and so should be your favorites on paper. Uh, only one of six Conmebol teams that have ever won the Copa Libertadores, this event, and uh, what's called the Recopa Sudamericana, a glorified exhibition called the Super Cup in English. They won this event in 2009, and they won the Copa Libertadores the year before that in 2008. Quite a run. They qualified for this year's uh, event as the best team from Ecuador that did not make the Copa Libertadores. So I think they finished in fifth. They did not make that event and then lose and drop down. They are the number three ranked team in all of Conmobile, at least according to one website that I like called Kick Algorithms. They advanced to the final over an Argentinian side called Defensa y Justicia, 3-0. 2023 Serie A, yes, that's the name of the Ecuadorian league as well. They are currently in second place in the second stage, or Clausura stage. Uh, they are looking for a low-scoring match as well, probably, because in league play, they've only given up two goals in nine matches. As you would imagine, that is the best in their league. They're only 11th best out of the 16 on offense, scoring exactly one goal per match. Key player to look for, tied for number five in scoring with 10 goals, and that's on the whole year, not this stage, is Alexander Alvarado. He plays left winger for them. And yes, Orlando City fans, same guy. He made a dozen appearances for your team between 2020 and 22. Uh, probably wasn't a starter at any point, I'm guessing. But then again, he was very young, as he's very young now, just 24 years old. Match number eight. And now we're back stateside for the last three of our main 10. Match number eight takes us to the second division in U.S. men's soccer, the USL Championship, where they have reached the quarterfinal stage of the playoffs. There was a slightly on paper better looking match than this one, but the one we picked from out west is a real dandy as well. We'll hit an Eastern Conference team uh, from Major League Soccer in a little bit. This one is number B, Orange County, versus uh, number six, from the West as well, of course, Phoenix Rising. Phoenix have had uh, the slight better of it when it comes to their overall record. 11-9-9 is the record they've accrued over the years against Orange County. And they've had the better of OC this year as well, only earning a 1-1 draw in Arizona, but getting a 0-1 win in Irvine. The winners are going to get to play either Sacramento Republic or San Antonio in the next round. You can catch this match on Bally's, Bally Sports SoCal if you get it geographically. 10 o'clock Eastern time here in the States. All right, let's visit the OC first. Irvine, where they're playing this one. The club was founded in 1998 as LA Blues, and they uh, had and maybe still have an affiliation with LAFC. I couldn't quite make that determination quickly. Twice they've been the Western Conference winners, most recently 2018. Uh, 2021, I believe, is the only time they've ever won a championship. Last year, woof, they only finished in 13th place, struggled mightily. This year, they seemingly made a big improvement on defense. Uh, offense was only average, but the defense in a moderately high-scoring league, they were giving up less than a goal and a quarter per match. They finished tied for number five in overall goal differential. So if they somehow pull the upset here, I still don't see them getting any further. 
Key player to look for defensively, their goalkeeper. He is number three in the league in save percentage. That is Colin Shuttler. He was with FC Dallas in 2021. Fans down there of the burn or hoops may remember, but he didn't make any appearances, I don't believe. I think that their team's MVP has been uh, for the U.S. left winger Milan Ilosky. Doesn't sound like a U.S. name, but hey, we're a country of immigrants. 16 goals, five assists. It is worth noting he's also number one in big chances missed at 20. So he could have tallied even more goals, probably should have been competing uh, more directly for the Golden Boot or whatever they call the goal winning award in the USL Championship. Team's current form four straight wins with a six and one goal differential. Now, Phoenix, they've won the Western Conference title twice. Last time was 2021. They made the playoff finals in 2020, and that was their best ever postseason. Last year, they too, just like Orange County, missed the playoffs. They finished in 10th place. This year, they made it on balance for their success. Number three, offense. Number four, defense. Tied for number three in league scoring, not the movie actor, which is kind of too bad. That would be cool. No offense to the soccer player. With 17 goals, that was Danny Trejo, left winger, although he might go by Daniel. I'm not really sure. Maybe just to differentiate himself. He played for LAFC for at least part of last year, and I believe he got to make one senior team appearance. Another key player is... Their netminder as well. Second best in saves per 90 minutes, that is Rocco Rios Novo from Argentina, just 21 years old. Wonder where he might be next. I mean, the most likely guess is uh, Lanus down in Argentina. He's on loan from there, and that is a top flight league in Argentina's Primera División. Team's current form, uh, they were winless in five and had lost two straight before their 3-4 win that got them out of the first round that was at San Diego. Match number nine. Now we visit the other tier three league in the United States. That is USL League One, which has reached its semifinal. The matchup that we're going to look at, number B, North Carolina versus number three, North North Colorado Hailstorm. Last time they played, Carolina got a road win one to two, and now they get the playoff match at their place. Series between these two, albeit a brief one, not surprising for a league that's so young, has gone the way of Northern Colorado a bit more. They've accrued a 3-1-2 and two record. Carolina finished one point ahead of Northern Colorado, by the way, in the regular season in what was an incredibly close playoff race. It seemed like there were five, six, seven teams that all with a couple of weeks ago could have made major pushes. All right, let's talk about Carolina as host first. They play in Cary, which is a suburb of Raleigh. They used to play in the NASL back when that was in existence and won it twice in the early 2010s. And that was the regular season. In the playoffs, they finished in second place in 2010, and that was their best postseason performance. They were actually in the USL Championship a couple of seasons ago, but, and I presume it was for financial reasons, decided to make the move down to the third tier. Finishing in the top two allowed them to get a little extra uh, rest, build up some stamina, I would suppose, because they got a buy into the semifinals as the top six were who had made the playoffs in this league. 
Last year, there were no playoffs to be spoken of for them. They finished in 11th. What a bounce back season. Very balanced as well. A little bit better on defense, I would say. They were giving up less than a goal and a quarter per match. They had the number three overall goal differential as well. Key players to look for. Oh, we've mentioned him a couple of times. Representing Vincent and the St. Vincent and Grenadines internationally. The second best scorer in the league was Olex Anderson with 17. Seattle Sounder. Fans may remember him. He was with the club in 2017. The number one player in the entire league, according to uh, the Foot Mob app that I've referenced before, it was their Brazilian left winger, uh, Rafael Mensigan. He had 13 goals, five assists, didn't really stand out in any one particular uh, aspect of the game statistically to me. But the guy doesn't seem to have any weaknesses either. He contributes just in every possible way, it seems like. Could probably play goalie. Uh, team's current form 4-1-0 in their last five. Uh, they advanced over Greenville Triumph, a playoff experience team 3-2. But it's worth noting that that vaunted defense I mentioned, slipping just a little bit here at the end, they haven't, they haven't kept a clean sheet in the last three matches. And now Northern Colorado, they play out of the city of Windsor, which doesn't even have quite 35,000, but I gather there are a fair number of communities up in that region that they draw fans from, giving them a larger base. This is just their second season in existence. Last year, they finished in seventh, just missing the playoffs. This year, uh, they're very good on both sides of the ball. I would anticipate a uh, low-scoring affair in this one. They were the number one defense in the league, giving up under one and a quarter, and they had the number one goal differential. This is not a team that will be intimidated going on the road, although couple that with a cross-country trip, and that's certainly a disadvantage. They had the number one league score on their team by a mile. That was Trevor Amon. He got just over two dozen of them. Tied for number one in league assists with nine was Arthur Rogers from across the pond in England, plays defender, and uh, he was the second best player in the league according to the Fob Bob rating system. Good dribbler, tackler, and uh, plenty of both uh, interceptions and clearances, and incidentally, he was also third best in the league in accurate long balls per 90 minutes. If this is a low-scoring fair, one wonders if one of those long balls might not be what starts the attack that leads to, oh, say, the only go in the game. Who knows? And uh, their netminder, number three in save percentage, that was Edward Delgado. I want to give him his propers. Uh, team's current form, they have won four straight. They advanced to the semifinal with a 4-1 win over forward Madison. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! And now match number 10, we flip the calendar back to Wednesday, breaking our chronological order streak that we've had going to give you the match that many of you have come to the show for because of our awesome guest appearance that we have waiting. This is our featured Major League Soccer playoff match of the week, talking about Columbus Crew, number three in the East, and they are playing host to number six, Atlanta United. Let's waste no time and just get right into the interview. And so joining us for what must be the fifth time, we could only guess mm. what sort of leverage we have here uh, over him to make him appear. It is Thomas Costello of the Bryant and Me podcast. And uh, I yeah. want to say, are you still with, is it Land Grant Holy Land as well? Am I getting the name right? And are you still with them? Yeah, I'm here to talk about Ohio State women's basketball. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yes, I am a basketball writer over there, but I'm also 
been a fan of the Columbus crew for a number of years now, a number that escapes me. But for a good four of those years, I was covering the team in some capacity or another. So I am here to talk playoffs, specifically uh, MLS Cup playoffs. Well, last week, instead of uh, talking about the the UEFA Champions League match that we were going to, we ended up talking about a great drunk dish from Rotterdam called Capsalon. So really, women's basketball, at least as a sport, that would be on the same page. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be oh, another yeah. great year though for Ohio State and my Iowa Hawkeyes I think do you see anybody else going oh. uh you know, breaking into the top two against those two um, uh Indiana is still going to be up there they lost their star guard but they still have arguably the second best player in the conference who would be named the best player of a year if Caitlin Clark didn't exist um so I, I think Indiana has the they're going to do that you know uh locker room material that um, chip on their shoulder type thing because people aren't putting them in the number one spot, even though they won the league last year. Um, they just had some hiccups in the postseason. So I, I think Ohio State, Indiana, and Iowa are going to be up there, and then Illinois is going to try their best. But I don't think they're going to be able to break into the top three. There's a there's a gap between the top three and the remaining teams of the conference. It's kind of like uh, the Premier League. If you want to say it's kind of like the Premier League, you have a few teams and everybody else is doing their best. I was at least the Premier League has got a little bit of fresh blood in there. The you know controversial True, ownership yeah. of Newcastle, you've got uh, Brighton mm. that has been uh, you know performing well, flirting with European spots. I believe Aston Villa is in the top six right now. The question, of course, is you know can they can they hold Will out? It last like Tottenham, they're getting a lot of help from VAR, not giving teams goals, so they're in first place right now. Uh, or so, or they're at the top. It might have no. They, I think they are. We'll see what happens with them. Uh, well, as long as Man City doesn't win it, I think I'll be happy. That's that's true. Unless it's Tottenham. If there's an omnipotent benevolent God in the universe, Spurs never win anything. But that's just one man's perspective. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Is it you or is it uh, is it Bryant that is the big Spurs fan between the pair of you and your? Oh show? no, that's definitely Bryant. I would never positively talk about the the spurs i i the only way i would want them to win is to spite manchester city and so i am a, a typical liverpool fan as, as you can probably tell i think that's reasonable i'm a bournemouth fan so i just spend a lot of my time crying oh, random corners cherries. of various public places that I'm, yeah the fighting the fighting cherries are having a little trouble this year don't eat the seeds yeah don't eat the seeds <laughs> they're, they're, those pits are not very delicious. Go ahead. No, nothing about the fighting cherries this year has been very delectable. They are. Oh, they haven't won a game yet. It's a sad state of affairs, but not so oh. for the Columbus crew. What a professional sounding segue. The playoffs Ooh. are about to begin. And even had you and I not been acquainted on Twitter and, uh, you know, all, you offering to come on very graciously, this was still going to be our uh, feature match of the week because really, is, wow. oh yeah, this is going to be the most entertaining of all the matches, all the offense that we can expect most likely yeah. from this. I mean, I know most teams play a little tighter to the vest, but I'm I'm thinking shootout. I'm going to uh, not turn it over entirely to you. I'm still here, but um, what are just what I say? You know, crew versus Atlanta, three versus six mm-hmm. in the East. Just what are your immediate visceral thoughts on this game? My immediate visceral thoughts is is rain. Every time these two teams play each other outside of Atlanta, because they have a dome, it's always raining. 
torrential downpour. Uh, it's always just awful weather. Um, so uh, that aside, I, I, I think you have what two of the tops in the Eastern Conference. They're number one and number six in goal differential. They're scoring a ton of goals. They're the top two teams in the conference in scoring goals. Like you said, they're going to be scoring a lot. Before I get too much into it, I want to just air my grievance about the MLS playoff structure because you mentioned a the shootout. They're doing a best of three and not a goal differential type of uh, Champions League, you know, uh, semi or, you know, uh, knockout route. They're playing a best of three like a MLB baseball series. So they're yeah, going to be playing three games all weekdays. I think, no, two weekdays and one Sunday. So, you know, they're really trying to fill the seats for these matches. Um, they're playing one games, one and three in Columbus, if applicable, and game two in Atlanta. I think the MLS changes their playoff structure so much because they keep adding teams every year. This one might be um, the most asinine. Yeah, it's structure. funny how this is accepted in in plenty of other sports, and yet for some reason, and I don't really have a dog in the fight one way or the other, but the the reactions I've been reading about on the the, the Twitter X Elon box have been mm-hmm. decidedly negative. Every everyone thinks that one seems to think one and done, who is being vociferous about it, would be the better yeah. way to go. Straight, true knockout. My thought is that they must simply, I don't remember if it was Trinidad and Tobago or I think it was St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, but uh, they did a best of three for their final. In my three years of doing this show, that was the first time I'd ever seen that format in a top flight league at any round. So maybe they looked at their CONCACAF neighbors and said, hey, what a great idea. What they thought, what, what knowing MLS, what they saw is that, hey, attendance is at a record high average in all these stadiums. Let's add more matches. Let's get more of that money coming in. That's how MLS thinks. They don't think about uh, what other countries are doing and what works for them. Well, that's uh, too bad doing because St. For... Kitts and Nevis is quite the, the model for professional football for the whole world. So. I often regarded as such. (laughs) (laughs) So that aside, the matches will still be played and they're still going to give it their all. Uh, One thing I like about it is that the crew don't have to go up against a team that was just in one of the knockout games. Um, If you saw, we're recording this after New York and Charlotte played. Well, New York played, Charlotte tried uh, in the five to two defeat. Over the years, those teams that don't get... Yeah, those teams that don't get extra time off, they seem to come into the second round fresher or more on their game. Um, I am happy that both Columbus and Atlanta are coming into this with the same amount of time off, same amount of all of that. But uh, matchup-wise, we talk about all the points and uh, how much they're scoring, and they're really fantastic when it comes to like the league at home. They're not just in the Eastern Conference. They're the number one two scoring teams in all of MLS. So, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, so it, it you think, oh man, that's going to be really exciting. These two teams just played twenty days ago ish on October seventh. It was a one-one draw. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say course. I don't remember if that was in Ohio or in Georgia, but I knew it was a one-one. That was draw. in Georgia. Uh, they they kind of bookended the season. Atlanta was one of the first teams that the crew played this year. I think it was like their fifth or sixth game, something like that. They beat them six to one. In Columbus, yeah, Columbus beat them six two one, and they and it was five to zero until like the seventy somethingth minute when Atlanta got one of those really nice uh, consolation goals 
um, Brooks Lennon was the only happy Atlanta player because he got a goal, especially if he has goals in his contract as bonus triggers. But uh, it could go it could go either way. The one to one match, though, this was an example, and the crew have had this something to watch on November first and the subsequent other matches. Columbus has had history this year of giving up leads late, giving up leads late. This is something that fans were so mad about, so mad at Caleb Porter about, and just like, oh, Caleb Porter's such an awful coach. They don't have Caleb Porter anymore, and it's still happening. Yeah, they led the league, I think, by quite a bit and dropped points from winning positions, didn't they? Yeah, they could very well have been up there for even the Supporters' Shield uh, conversation. I mean, they... Whenever since he came to Columbus, they throttled him <laughs> like a month <laughs> or so ago. Like Columbus is not a worse team than Cincinnati, but at the end of matches where Cincinnati's coming back and winning, Columbus is giving up points. And that one to one, um, that one to one draw earlier this month, Columbus gave up the the game drawing goal, the draw goal, the goal draw. Yeah, uh, we can in go the with 97th that. 97th minute, the 97th minute. Is that not heartbreaking? (laughs) That's fantastic. The one thing that Columbus has done well, though, in these matches is going up against uh, Tiago Almada. They've been able to, they've only played him once, but they keeping him off of the score sheet, keeping him out of the match. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good contest. Now he technically got the assist on the Miles Robinson goal, but if Oman is not scoring goals, if you're able to limit him, if he gets one assist a match, I'd say that you didn't do a horrible job against him. Um, one thing to watch too with those comebacks for the other teams playing the crew is usually Kevin Molino is part of it. <laughs> Kevin Molino is a um, former Minnesota guy. For folks who don't know, he played in Minnesota. He was really key in their playoff run. A few years ago, Columbus signed him, and it's been pretty much a wet blanket the entire time. This season, in two matches, he has been the person at in second-half stoppage creating an unnecessary free kick for the other team with really bad tackles, and those free kicks are the matches that have dropped points for Columbus. And, and against Atlanta... hard and not with much wisdom, it sounds like. No, he's coming in from behind. He's coming from behind and trying to get the ball from the side. First of all, uh, the years are behind him in terms of that. His speed, he's never been known as a speed player either. So why you're doing that, it's not in your skill set. It's not in your – that's not your game. Uh, So uh, lately, though, the last couple matches, he hasn't been coming into matches late. It's one of those things now there. If crew fans see – Molino's name come up on the board. Everyone just gets kind of like a collective gasp. Like, why are you doing that? There's so many other players on the field. From the the no seats area. Right. (laughs) There are so many other people. Just don't put number 13 on the board. (laughs) We don't want to see number 13. Uh, Bring in somebody else. Literally anybody else. And we would be okay. Um, so that's been kind of the the, the fans' trauma <laughs> in the end of the season. But for all intents and purposes, you're leading the league in goals. Crew have sold out. They sold out the playoff match um, within an hour or two. Um, so fans are going. They've had 15 straight sellouts at home, which in Columbus, that was the reason that 
the former owner, Anthony Precourt, was using as a way that they shouldn't have a team because they weren't having good attended matches. Columbus's attendance has been fantastic. They've been rewarding the fans with really good contests at home, uh, really good results at home. So I, with Columbus getting that advantage, that home field advantage, and I, I, you can completely hear the bias in my voice, but just looking at it from the two contests they've had, how well Columbus plays at home, it's hard to see them not moving on unless it's those late match hiccups. Yeah, a a healthier Atlanta team makes this uh, the most competitive match that it can be. And obviously last year was terrible for Atlanta in that regard, historically bad. But between red cards and, uh, you know, red card here and injury there, you know, Atlanta's coming into this match on the road uh, you know, not in the greatest, you know, health and overall personnel availability, you know, position. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that's a major factor for this game or am I overvaluing that? No, I think it is. Columbus wise uh, for injuries, Diego Rossi's been off to the side in practice. I think he might be nursing something. To be fair, he just came off of another season playing before he came to Columbus. Uh, but he was playing, I want to say Turkey. I think he was playing in Turkey before. Um, He came to Columbus, and he had already been playing for a good amount of time. So I think that um, he might just have he might just have tiredness from that, from extended play, and coming over to Columbus and being integrated into a new team. So Rossi, that'll be something to watch. But outside of him, there hasn't been a lot of concerns. Knock on wood, uh, this point for the crew in their season. Cause this is the time of the year when guys are out, this is the time of the year when you are injured, but uh, the midfield of Aiden Morris and Darlington Nagby, they've grown so much this year. They're healthy. Christian Ramirez, Cucho Hernandez, who had an argument in the MVP race. He's not going to win. Lucho Acosta is going to get it, but he was right up there in terms of goals and assists. He was one of the top players in the, in the league. They're all healthy. One thing you can watch is the, the defensive uh, back line for all the goals that they've scored. They've also given up a lot of goals yeah, what this year. The issue there um, been? Has it been, uh, has it been in net? Has it been the defense in front or has it been more just a product? Would you say of the fact that they're pushing so forward so often getting all those goals on offense? It's, it's the defense in the back. They got rid of Jonathan Mensa at the beginning of the season. They traded him. They got rid of Milos Degenek. He wanted to go back to Red Star Belgrade, so he went and he left too. They were just in a rough way earlier on in the season. They ended up having the best goal differential in MLS. So they only gave up 46 goals. When you you compare them to the other teams battling in the Eastern Conference – uh, like since he only gave up 39. Same so with Orlando it's fair City. To say so. that the defense gelled and improved to some degree as the def- as, as the season went on, or are they just yeah. kind of treading water? No, they've definitely improved over the year. And uh, even looking at the results, they've they haven't had a lot of those, you know, blowout defeats that some teams have have had this year. They're in a lot of close contests. They're not getting uh, blown out of the water looking through like uh, only what twice this season have they lost by multiple goals talk to me Once about, was against talk to me about lucas zellerian he is just one of my players been there how many years has he been there three now he three but i have some 
heartbreaking news for you. Um, he left. Uh, he left in the middle of the season. Oh my right god! Before, yeah, where did where was Once, he went? He went to um, insert Arabic name here for. He went to the UAE. He went to United Arab Emirates, like all the other. Oh, not even uh, the Saudi Arabian one. He went to the UAE. Oh, no, 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 no. Excuse, no, he did go to Saudi Arabia. Excuse me, he went to Saudi Arabia. Oh, no, he god. did go to Saudi Arabia with other uh, folks. The, what ended up happening, and this came out. A week or two after, which fans were not happy about. So Zellerion leaves, and then really soon after, they announced that they're signing Diego Rossi. And you think, oh, look how quickly the crew responded. Look how well they did. It turns out um, MLS blocked them from bringing in Rossi while Zellerion was on the team. Just because of the DPs they had, they blocked them because of the number of DPs. Now, ignore Miami. And how they brought in Messi and they brought in all of his Barcelona teammates. But in Columbus, right? But in Columbus, they were um, they would they would not allow the transaction to happen. So they sold Lucas to get Rossi. Interesting. That's so what it looks like. That's what it Rossi. looks like. I wonder if Zellerian had been unhappy with the club, or the or the club had been unhappy no. with I think it ended up being just his age and how much money they could get for him. Um, he was in his 30s, which at, in soccer, you're geriatric at that point. Um, I so I think they were just... When you're, ta- when you're looking at a year when you're you know, you're know, this strong, I would think sell him after the season. But, I mean, you brought in Ross, and, and this is to Wilford Nancy's system also. He doesn't play with that traditional number 10 he doesn't play with that offensive linchpin nearly as much now he used him obviously he used him because you're not going to have Zeller around in your team and not use him and uh, he only played 20 matches and, and he I contributed he the best 20 at that time behind Acosta quite frankly right he he created 21 goals um in 20 matches or excuse me, 17. 17 goals in 20 matches he created. My mistake. He had 10 goals and 7 assists in only 20 games. That's insane. If he would have stayed and MLS would have allowed Diego Rossi to come in and you had Rossi, Cucho, Zellerayan, and the Christian fourth, Ramirez. Yeah, was that going to be a fourth DP, by the way? Was that the problem with uh, with Rossi and Zellerayan together? It was going to be the fourth, but looking at it, the team had options. Now, I'm not an MLS financial wizard, but they could have, if Darlington Nagby and the team agreed, they could have terminated his contract and then signed him at, you know, just under DP levels. They could have brought his amount down. And think about, it too, the president of the team, Tim Bezbachenko, he helped create MLS's financial rules. He started in the MLS front office. He's the reason Toronto became the team that won MLS Cups. And he's the president of the crew. If he can't get it done, maybe there's just some extenuating circumstances. Maybe the rules are changing. I have no idea. But they could have worked with Nagby to bring in, uh, to bring his pay down, to allow. So it sounds like they really DPs. just wanted that windfall for uh, Zellerayan. I guess so. I, I think they, at the end of the day, long term, mm-hmm. um, it hasn't hurt the crew. It hasn't diminished their their play on the field. Now we'll see what happens against Atlanta. Is because if Rossi is 
not available to play, what do you do? What do you do at that moment? So um, weather aside, how do you see this uh, uh, game going in terms <laughs> of pace, scoring, and, uh, you know, let's say the weather is going to be good. How do you see it? How do you see it playing out? I will, I will, uh, I will add in before you answer the question. I think this is a great matchup, independent yeah. of where it's being played, because I feel like Atlanta are just a, you know, a, a slightly scaled down version of Columbus. That they're two similar thing teams, but that Columbus is just kind of a little bit better in every regard. That's important. No, I agree. Outside of Almada, I think Almada, him being that traditional 10, Columbus doesn't have anything like that. But system-wise, everything else-wise, yeah, I, I would agree with that sentiment. Having the best of three, I predict that it's going to be Atlanta playing more defensively. Now, it's also because you're away from home. But also, if you know that if you can limit Columbus's offensive effectiveness, whether that is you know, dropping a midfielder back or playing, you know, five in the back, not from the jump or not from kickoff, but from the, just the way the game flows. Are you going to bring extra people back and kind of play with a, uh, a more stronger set back there to slow down Columbus? Because you know, then you get to go home. And if you limit them in the first match, if they give up none or a goal or something like that, if they don't lose against, the crew on on Wednesday, They'd they can go home and they'll draw, wouldn't they? I think they would. I think they would. And even the playoff structure, I can't even tell you if they. Oh, in, in the third match, they would have. Um, I need to even look at the structure to tell you the truth. Um, I, I think they might not even be able to have a draw, but if, if they're going to play more defensively, try to catch Columbus on the counter. That's possible because they have had their defensive issues this year. Uh, even if they do have to go for the win, Atlanta might do it for more of a, a defensive set. Because like you said, Columbus is kind of a better version of Atlanta, at least this year. If you play strength for strength, I don't think that's going to come up well. Um, in Atlanta's favor, playing away from home. But both of the teams are not good road teams. Both of the teams have only averaged one point a match on the road, where I think Columbus has like 2.4 or something like that at home, which is second in the league. They're they're one of the better home teams. So prediction, I think... Go ahead. I would say prediction, I I think Columbus does win because nobody on the Atlanta defense really, um, I think, instills fear in the hearts of the crew offensive players. No, I think it's going to be waves of offense. I don't see Columbus uh, sitting back at home opening round of the playoffs. I think they're going to no. play to their strengths. And if they lose, if they lose three to four, they lose three to four. But at this stage, you are who you are. I don't think you try to change. You know, if you're a team that can play either way, you know, I'm sure you probably play closer to the vest because it's the playoffs. That seems natural in 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 soccer and all kinds of sports, but that's just oh, yeah. never been Columbus's MO. And quite frankly, for the most part, their one-one draw side, it hasn't exactly been um been Atlanta's. So uh next yeah. next who do you feel who should I be when I'm watching this game as somebody who is still uh, you know Name is noob for a reason. Uh, who should I be? You know, I know the big names. Who Who is the best of – what's the name that I don't know that I should be watching for in this match that would be key for Columbus? And real quick, too, they um, they do 
not have any draws. So they're going to go straight to penalty kicks. Gotcha. So yeah. that even gives Atlanta more of a of a, an emphasis on defense because if we can keep it a draw, we'll take our chances in penalty kicks with with Guzan back there. But um, anyway, players you want to watch for. For Columbus, the one guy especially in Columbus, I should tell these new fans who are listening: who do we need? Who do we need to watch for that not everybody would know right out of the gate? They have a lot of names. Like I would even say Julian Gressel's a bigger name on the team because he's been successful with Atlanta and other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, Darlington Nagy, that's another bigger name. I'm going to give you two to watch for. One of them is um, Alex Matan. If Matan plays it's likely because Rossi is not playing so if Rossi doesn't play and you have Matan out there um which kind of interchanges Matan is in that position with another guy named Yao Yaboa who both kind of are contingent on Rossi's uh, ability are, are to play attacking midfielder wing where am I looking for him you're going to look for Matan as an attacking um uh, attacking midfielder who will technically look on the formation chart like he's on the wing He's going to do a little bit of drifting. Um, so Matan offensively at goalkeeper, you mentioned earlier, and I, I should respond to it. Um, the defensive issue is the it was more the defensive back line. Also, watch goalkeeper Patrick Schulte. He is he was a rookie last year. He played with the Cappies Columbus Crew two, won them MLS Next Pro Cup, whatever they want to call it, and. <laughs> he moved into the starting role really early this season because of a mysterious injury for Aloy room. And then he moved out of the country um, a few months later. So Schulte has been the crew's goalkeeper. And now he's drawing attention from the U S youth national team. He was just playing with the youth national team, uh, the U 23s I want to say. So you could potentially even see this guy in an Olympics or even, with the national team, the senior team at some point. So I would watch goalkeeper Patrick Schulte. He has kept Columbus in matches, especially when they were trying to work out the defensive back line. He was the reason that Columbus was still competing. That's definitely a name I did not know at all. I've been following. He doesn't lead the league in a lot of, you know, you know, stats as far as save percentage or anything, or I'd be more familiar with him, but it sounds like he has directed his defense. Well, particularly for a rookie. Yeah. As a young and yeah, he's, this is his, yeah, this is his MLS senior level, kind right. of pretty much his rookie season. Yeah, so it, it is his first year playing at this highest level, and he the learning curve has not been steep. That is wonderful. So, um, and and maybe you said, and I missed it. So, what is your what is your uh, lock uh, lock it in? You know, bet the mortgage on it. Score prediction for game one. Uh, I think. Um, I think Columbus remember that draw that they had against Atlanta. I think they want to go into Atlanta with the win. Um, of course, you want to go with the win, but I really think they're going to try to go in with that win. And I'm going to give them a a three one victory over Atlanta. They beat them six to one earlier this year. I know that was much earlier, and Almada didn't play. Three one but, one um, one, so split the difference. <laughs> yeah, three yeah three one, and then if you win in a penalty shootout in Atlanta you consider that a, a victory and you can take that extra match to not play and rest. And then if so it's, I'm in, give if it's it in another months. torrential downpour, we will not hold you responsible for a nil-nil, <laughs> nil-nil draw. Well, I'm actually, I'm going to be at a concert that night, so I'm not even going to be at the match, but I will, I'm giving all of my hopes and dreams into the cruise corner. I'm sure, um, yes, I'm sure you will be there in spirit as it is. Yes. 
as it is said. Well, Tom Costello, Brian and me, Land Grant, Holy Land, thank you very much for all the help for me and my daughter and all the noobs who are listening here because that was a lot of information, but also very relatable, which is exactly the sort of thing that you know we need for you know good long-term digestion of our uh, of our soccer <laughs> journey. <laughs> yeah. Well if you need a simple tent to talk about the crew, I'm always here. That's my MO. So let, let it ride. Bring forth the bonus matches. Here they are being marched in in full regalia, your bonus matches for the week. And yes, we're going to get away from the Americas for all three of these. Mix things up a little bit. Our first one is a first versus last place match. My daughter dramatically calls the... Route, 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 route of, of, of. Of the week, 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 week. And it is a Sunday match from the Belgian First Division A, which feels like it was a name made up by the Redundancy Department of Redundancy still to me. It will never feel any other way. Anyway, they're the eighth ranked league in all of UEFA. Uh, They're a little bit halfway through the first and main part of their regular season. Towards the end, they divided up, I believe, into three different sections to determine who's getting berths into European competitions and which four teams are going to get relegated. Your matchup, speaking of relegation, uh, they couldn't be any further down in the zone. Number 16, Westerlo versus number one, Union St. Joa. Currently, Westerlo trail OH Leuven by five points. Leuven are in 12th, so that represents the lowest uh, marked point of safety for any team. Meanwhile, USG, they lead Anderlecht by four points. Series between these two, advantage USG. No real surprise there, 10, 6, and 5. Westerlo, let's learn a little bit about them before they're relegated and lost to memory. Uh, that is uh, the name of the city as well that they play out of. It's a large town, more than anything, about 25,000. They've had more success in some lower level play. They've got a couple of Division II titles, in fact. Most recent one was 2021-22. Best finish that they've ever had in the top flight was number six, and that was 2008-2009. And yet, 2011-2012, they made their only European appearance and uh, were in, I believe, the Europa League and went from the second to the third qualifying round before bowing out. Last year, you would have been more likely to find them in our second bonus match as they finished in eighth place. The stats don't look good on either side of things. I do think this is a team that's going to get relegated. They just don't generate enough offense. They're only getting a little bit over one goal per match in a league that's a little bit higher scoring than average over there for Western Europe. Best rated player that they have, I believe, is Nicholas Madsen. He is a Danish central midfielder, just 23 years old. He's got a couple of goals. He's a great crossing passer. I'm a little surprised he doesn't uh, notch up any assists yet. I have a feeling that he is the main man for set pieces, but don't know for sure as far as launching the ball into the box. And we have a USA connection here. Griffin Yao plays midfielder for them, 21 years old. Uh, He came up with DC United and I believe made a handful of senior team appearances even for them uh, between 2019 or 22. But if memory serves, spent more time with their Division II affiliate, Loudoun United. I do know that he made a dozen U.S. men's national team appearances for the under-17 side. Teams current form, aha, we're always looking for reasons to think What can we hang our hat on, our hopes on, 
that they might be able to pull off an upset. Well, they're at home, and in their last four, they are 1-3-0. and oh, Still in last place, but starting to show a little fire. And now USG, they're originally from St. Giel, hence the name. They actually now play in a nearby uh, suburb called Forest. Uh, they're both part of the greater Gr- Brussels region, and they tend to draw fran- fans from the southern part of the greater capital region. 2022, I believe, was their first year back in Division One after nearly 50 years out of the top flight. Uh, the team won a bunch of titles, but it was way back uh, between 1900 and uh, the 1930s. Once you get uh, past the World Wars, uh, that's you don't see them in the top flight much for a while. Currently, they're still battling in the Europa League group stage. Uh, last year, they played in the Champions League and then bowed out, went to the Europa League and got as far as the quarterfinal. They finished in, I believe, third place. This year so far, they've got the number one offense going, two and a thirds goals per match. The defense, it's barely above average. They're giving up a fair bit over one goal per match. So maybe on the road, they could struggle a little bit. They say defense travels, and that is not USG's strength. On the offensive side, number one player in assists of the league with seven is Cameron Puertas. He is a Swiss attacking midfielder and uh, number one in the league, according to the uh, foot mob app I keep mentioning. He's got a couple of goals as well. Another key player to look for here, number B in possessions in the league, one in the final third. So when he's in the attacking uh, you know, final third, he is a guy that can steal the ball back and keep drives, so to speak, alive. And that is John Thierry Lazar. He is from uh, the Ivory Coast and plays central midfielder for them, or at the very least, he uh, represents internationally for Ivory Coast. I don't know where he was born. Team's current form, uh, they have won three straight matches. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. We're going with another Sunday match to celebrate two teams in song that probably nobody else is even talking about, let alone singing about, maybe even in their own country. The most meaningless match in the world pits two teams against one another that are more or less smack dab in the middle of their table, equally equidistant from the glory of getting to international competition, but also reasonably safe from relegation. We're headed to China for this one. The Super League is the top flight there. It is ranked number seven in the AFC, the Asian Football Confederation. Two of their teams will get to go to the next Champions League Elite. That is going to be the new name for the tournament now, just known as the Champions League. And then their third place finisher will go to what henceforth will be known as Champions League Two. I wish they would have gone with Champions League B, even if not using the word number in that. Uh, including this year, it is still known as the AFC Cup. That will change. Two of the 16 teams are going to get relegated. That's what's going on at the other end of the table. There are just two matches left in the season. So I believe both of these are mathematically safe from both ends of the table entirely. Talking about number 10, Henan, H-E-N-A-N, think I'm getting the pronunciation right, versus number nine, Chengchun Yatai. Uh, Chengchun Yatai lead Henan by three points in the table. Uh, Yatai trail number three, Shanghai Shenhua by 13 points. Meanwhile, uh, Henan, they lead number 15, Dailan Professional by 16 points. So, yes, now that I actually see these notes and recall, they are easily both mathematically safe. They can Netflix and chill and just coast through this last match. 
The series between these two has very much gone in Yatai's favor in the past. They've accrued an 8-8-2 eight, eight, record, and they won earlier this season at their place, resoundingly 3-1. to one. We'll talk about Heenan first. They are known as the Red Devils. If you're wondering about the club name, it is related, although I wasn't really seeing a lot in common with the spelling, uh, to uh, various names of an ancient city that was probably best known as John Kang, which was important in a lot of various dynasties, including the Song Dynasty, as recently as 1,500 years ago. Uh, they actually play out of the modern city of Zhengzhou in the east central part of the country. Uh, it's about 12 million people, major scientific research city, tons of universities there. Being somewhat inland, it's also a major transportation hub, not only for air, but specifically uh, for train and other land transport. They have won three different league titles, but down in the second division and most recently 2018. In the Super League in 2009, they finished in third place. That's the best they've ever done. 2010 Champions League group stage is the only time they ever got to play in the AFC internationally. Last year, they finished in sixth place, so a little bit better. This year, they've been you know, very average statistically, number 10 offense, number nine defense, doing what they do. They do have a couple of good players to look out for here. Tied for second best in save percentage in the league is Guoming Wang. He's a 33-year-old veteran. He's also tied for third best in clean sheets in the league with eight. I think that the team MVP, at the very least in the outfield, is a Serbian international player they have named Nemanja Kovic. He's top five in the league in scoring with 15 goals, a couple of assists tack on there, good tackler, and he tracks back very well, gets a lot of clearances for a guy who plays his position. Team's current form, they're 1-1-1 one, one, one in their last three, and they've been a wild bunch. I know some of this is you know based on who they play, obviously, but their last three matches, they've won 6-0, lost 0-3, and then had a 0-0 draw as well. And uh, since I wasn't able to easily deduce who the most meaningless player, or most average player was, as I sometimes do, here's a most meaningless fact. Although if you like ostriches, it's not. Zhengzhou Ostrich Park may be the largest ostrich breeding area in the entire world. I know it's at the very least the biggest one in China and probably Asia. All right, and now Chenshang Yatai. The city of Chenshang has about 5 million people. It's in the northeast part of the country. History buffs will recognize the name. It was the capital of the Japanese puppet state, uh, Manchukuo, I want to say, or Manchuria, before the establishment of the People's Republic of China in 1949. And economically, it has been known as the Detroit of China. Tons of automobile-specific manufacture there. Club is a moderately young one, founded in 1996. 2006 was the first time they ever played in the Super League. I believe they would have come up a year sooner. They qualified on paper, but they got caught in a big match-fixing scandal, so they were punished by not being allowed. But now here they are. They've won one league title, and that was in 2007, so they wasted no time bouncing back from that match-fixing scandal, seems like. They've been to the Champions League twice, 2008 and 2010. Didn't make any real noise there, though. Their crest, I don't want to say it's one of the worst, but it's at the very least one of the weirdest. It was something I would expect for a youth club, and I mean little kids. It features a, a anthropomorphic character, but his head kind of looks cattish, and it's got small antlers, but otherwise from the neck down, it's a kid. It's you know, clearly wearing child's clothes, still clearly has a lot of baby fat. I mean, it's a kid, and he's kicking a ball. He's got a big open tooth. You know, open mouth smile on his face. 
Uh, yeah, it'd be great for their under seven team, but I don't know what it's doing up here. Anyway, last year they finished in 11th place. So they are who they are, pretty average these days. They're a little bit better on offense than they are on defense. So if they get any chance to control the pace, they might be pushing forward. The team MVP, I'm sure, uh, would like to keep it a little bit lower scoring, though. He's on the defensive side of the ball. He plays central midfielder, but he's more defensively oriented. And that is Peter Zulj, or Zulja, not sure which, Z-U-L-J. He's from Austria, great tackler, lots of blocks. He's played for a lot of European clubs, like places like Turkey. Uh, I want to say Denmark, but in any event, the best European club he probably spent any real time with was Anderlecht. He was there from 2019 to 21. Team's current form, a very meaningless 1-1-1 one, one, and one in their last three. And your most meaningless fact, the Manchus of this region are the largest minority group in China that do not have their own specifically autonomous region. And now for your final bonus match and final match of the show. It is a very different one, and it is episode number 13 appropriately because this is the match of... Disappointed! And we have found for you a Wednesday match pitting two teams from the very bottom of their table worthy of your scorn. It is from the Premier League of Burundi, this match, a league that is not ranked within the African Football Confederation, the CAF. They only rank about the top 60% of them there. They deem the rest to not get enough international play and be worthy. Therefore, only the winners will go to the Champions League. Actually, that's true of every league in the country except for the top 12 rated leagues. On the more relevant side of things, or part of the spectrum, three of the 16 teams here will get relegated. They're only about a third of the way through the season, so plenty of time for these two teams, neither of which I was able to learn a ton about, but let's see what there was. Uh, number 16, Magara Young Boys could still right the ship, as could number 15 visitors, Tel Aviv. At least I'm assuming it's pronounced like the Israeli city, although it is all one word, so who knows. In any event, uh, Tel Aviv lead Magara by four points in the table and trail number 14, Moso Sugar, by three points. All right, let's talk about young boys first. They are known as the Vikings, which I find very strange, even though they uh, they are in the uh, Rumang or Rumangi province, which is along the shore of Lake uh Tanganyika. I, I wouldn't think actual Vikings would find their way there, but even worse is their crest. Google this up. It's it, a, a soccer ball fills the screen, and then there's some very grainy uh, triumvirate of colors. But then across the top, it looks more like a photograph that's you know put in there as opposed to a drawing. But in any case, it's a dead fish, just a whole dead fish lying there. I mean, it's not in water. It certainly doesn't look alive. It's laying over the curve of the ball. It is one of the most confusing and probably worst crests I've ever seen. And yet, strangely, I also adore it. I want to know more, but I couldn't find anything about the dead fish. Hey, Soccer Noob USA is my handle on Twitter. If you know something about this team, this league, let me know about the darn dead fish. What I can tell you is that the club was founded in 2012. Last year, they either, either finished in 11th or 14th. I seem to be finding some conflicting information. This year, they are ghastly. No wins, not even a draw, in fact. Uh, they've got the number 15 offense 
getting just over a goal every other match on average. And that is great compared to the defense. They have the worst defense by a mile, giving up exactly three goals per match. Worst goal differential by a factor of two and a half. I couldn't even figure out exactly, uh, other than that I think they're from the Ramangi province, exactly what town they play out of. I am not convinced Magara, although it might be Mugara, where exactly it is. So take some of that information with a grain of salt. I've got even less about Tel Aviv. I couldn't find anything on them. Here's what I know. Last year, they were not in uh, the Burundi Premier League. I assume that they got promoted from the second division down there. The only other thing I can tell you is that they have the third worst offense, the second worst defense. They give up a little over two goals per match and the second worst goal differential. Both of these teams, I don't care that it's a third of the way through the season, are going down. And that's if, if that's if Tel Aviv just doesn't evaporate as if it never was a Brigadoon-type club except down in Burundi. I've never been able to find less information from my usual uh, sites about a club. In any event, no matter how much or how little we know about the teams in the match of disappointed, because of their disappointedness, we will not wish them good luck or good fortune, but rather shoo them away in our traditional fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Away. Hey, boo! boo. And that's a wrap on episode 159 of Soccer Noob Rockin' America featuring Person Noob. Thank you very much to he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry. To my daughter and co-host, Person Noob. Mwah. Love you so much. I'm glad you're still loving contributing to this program. You are the one everybody true tunes in for, truth be told. And thank you to you, yeah, for finding us, making it through the show. If you enjoyed it, we hope that you will consider passing it along to your footy-minded friends. Until we can do it again in a few days, have yourself a fabulous footy week. Take care. <laughs>